All right, here we go. It's Tuesday and a great day for talk radio. It's just the second day of the working week, and uh, I think the legislature has returned after 10 days. Where'd they go exactly? Uh, But there were hijinks and uh, all kinds of fun and frivolity being played out there. As Danny just mentioned, uh, Vic Fideli, the finance minister, going after the deputy leader of the NDP, Sarah Singh. Where's Andrea Horvath been, by the way? She's uh, That is something I've been wondering as well. Really? I thought I was the only only one and I didn't even I wasn't even sure I cared uh but so you were wondering the same thing yeah. she's been missing in action I don't know maybe it's a vacation hmm. I hope I mean yeah, I hope. because Sarah Singh keeps coming forward on uh, so many of these topics from the NDP party well <laughs> that's actually almost redundant the NDP party because it would be the new Democrat party party from the NDPs and you know I'm not they like to party exactly <laughs> hardy hardy uh and so yeah Vic Fidel do you have that racked up again you got to hear him muttering after his breath uh he's not too impressed with Sarah Singh I guess and he's explaining how business works give a listen as the security of the OCS warehouse is a top priority we will not be sharing further information on the data day operation that's how business works <laughs> all right yeah exactly just in passing he threw that one in uh, one little bon mot and uh, off we go and so i guess he since apologized wasn't danny mentioning that yeah all right well you know uh, there's a whole <laughs> festival i guess of either explanations apology apologies lack of explanations it's one of these kinds of confluence of uh, interesting times down there at the legislature where did you hear this story where uh, the chief of staff for patrick brown uh, i guess he bailed on brown when that sexual allegation thing went down well what 10 months ago almost 11 months ago and uh so now this guy ali can velshi was appointed to the ontario power generation company uh or crown company and uh he evidently was fired on the day he signed his contract <laughs> this i gotta i gotta wonder what the deuce is going on but apparently doug ford's chief of staff dean french it says in the Globe and Mail, personally reached out to the head of the board of OPG and asked that Ali Canvelshi be removed from the executive role he started this fall. And that executive role, apparently, I don't know, they kept him on as a vice president of corporate affairs and community relations. Or they've done that until his termination formally takes effect. And then there's talk that the severance will be in the neighborhood of a half a million dollars. That's not a bad gig. You work a day and you're worth a half a schmill. Wow. Man. Where do Good we get job those? if you can get it. Well, yeah, but you can't because this guy was well-connected. Apparently, he's been around in conservative circles for a while. Uh, he did work with Jason Kenney uh, as uh, a senior advisor and also with Stephen Harper during the 2008 and 2011 election campaigns. And so uh, when they actually, uh, I guess, pretty much saw Patrick Brown walk the plank, Mr. Velshi, who was Patrick's chief of staff at that time, ping-ponged over to Vic Fideli, and uh, he became the chief of staff for Vic Fideli. So he's been working the room and uh, the corridors of power, I guess, except that this time around, for whatever reason, this Dean French, who's the chief of staff for Doug Ford, decided that uh, he had to get in there with an intervention. And so he went to, uh, I guess, a member of the board directly, it says, and uh, the next thing you know, this guy... He's out. He's on the outs. And we're waiting now to find out what it's going to cost in terms of severance or unjust dismissal or whatever. But one day in. Wow. Because I guess you would make the argument, eh, that, uh, hey, I turned up uh, 
or I, I've turned really, down other op- opportunities, yeah, taken a pass, taken a pass on other jobs that were availed to me. And uh, they were going to pay me like untold millions in the long term and yada, yada, yada. I mean, that's how it works. Right? So back pounding the pavement. <laughs> For how long? We don't know. Uh, Just, you know, curious to see the resume. Do you list that, by the way? One day on the job? Is that on the resume? Yeah, his his LinkedIn still lists him as uh, VP at at the OPG. Well, that's what they say. He's on until this takes effect, formally, his termination. And then what do you put in? LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is not by day, is it? It's not (laughs) listing daily uh, activity. So (laughs) Seeking other opportunities. All right. Well, we'll have to wait and see. It's, as I say, uh, some of the stuff that's happening now that the legislature is back in full swing. In fact, having returned after 10-day absence, uh, I see where the opposition went after the Ford government, suggesting that this sex scandal uh, or the allegations of a sex scandal were uh, swept under the rug, they say. This is where Jim Wilson, he too, walked the plank. Andrew Kimber was another one who, uh, this was uh, another, I guess, close associate of Doug Ford's, the premier's, and uh, Mr. Kimber has been uh, alleged to have, let me make sure I've got this right, sexted at least five female PC staffers, including pictures of him in a thong. Oh, well. Tony Clement is somewhere right now going, God bless you people, (laughs) coincidentally for doing these kinds of things because, uh, you know, it's taking the heat off of me. Thong, amateur. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) really. I mean, what is this? Just a junkyard. That's what this is. But uh, And so, you know, the other uh, allegation that was made against uh, Jim Wilson and for which he he resigned. It was cited as being addiction issues, and it's not that they're necessarily mutually exclusive because uh, he may have. Who knows? It's again, these are up in the air. An investigation from a third party is taking place, but uh, the sexual misconduct allegedly involved a male staffer. So uh, when the opposition goes after Doug Ford and he's saying he was only trying to protect the accuser's privacy. I think that's plausible. I think that makes sense. I mean, if you've got an accuser, it's a male accuser, and uh, maybe they don't want to be implicated in something that may start the rumor mill going in full throttle and uh, maybe placing him in uh, characterizing him erroneously, let's say, you know, mischaracterizing the dude, then uh, he has every right to that kind of protection. I would think if a premier wants to run interference on that, it's not like he's you know, obfuscating or sweeping it under the rug. I think it's a noble thing he's doing. But, of course, that's not how the opposition works. If, uh, you know, they smell blood in the water, they're going to go for it. And uh, this is what they've been attempting to do there at the legislature, which is why, you know, the politics then become coarsened or mean. And when they become mean, this is where the rubber meets the road. You know, do you cut any slack to your political opponents if you're in a peer, in a place where you can uh, make a call as to uh, – something that benefits them or doesn't benefit them. And this is where we find ourselves now because uh, the Ford government has decided to introduce on Thursday during the fall economic statement uh, this ruling that in order for a party to have official party status and the benefits that come with that, including a budget that involves administration research, automation that kind of stuff, which, you know, and it's uh, done on a sort of a pro rata basis, depending on the number of MPPs that you have elected. But right now, the liberals have seven. 
and party status is conferred on those with eight. And the Conservatives decided come Thursday, they're popping it up to 12. So unless there are a series of by-elections, a handful of by-elections in the next 24 hours or so, the Liberals have got a snowball's chance in hell of actually being cast as a party, an official party. It's like throwing an anchor to a drowning man. Effectively, I mean, uh, you think, or you know, the 20-foot rope to the guy who's drowning 30 feet from shore. You think, uh, basically, hey, we've met you more than halfway. What's your problem? Uh, No, they're they're swimming feverishly towards shore, and the shore just got further. You know, they moved the goalpost. But you see, this is what I'm saying. In some instances, this is the way that power politics is played. If you've got your opponent down on the mat, do you let them get up, or do you put your boot on their throat and squeeze. And so uh, I'm going to ask that question because I'm kind of curious if you see this as being, this is where the rubber meets the road. Is democracy better served in this instant if the provincial liberals had party status? Their interim leader, uh, John Fraser, had said as much. He said the government may move the goalposts, but it still has a responsibility to ensure the voices of 1.1 million Ontarians who voted for the Liberals in the last election are effectively supported. And uh, in the absence of having party status, I guess they're going to languish in the wilderness a while. And they're not going to have, let's say, the full opportunity to represent on those constituents, arguably. Because, you know... They'll rarely get called on in question, period. I mean, they're really like shrinking violets in a corner. Kathleen Wynne has recognized her own irrelevance at this point. They've been diminished in stature uh, so, you know, uh, magnificently that it's a case of, well, is it just desserts, a comeuppance of sorts after 15 years of profligacy and taking this province into Davy Jones' locker? Well, the voters have spoken, and that's what they voted for. And so based on the formula that we have now, they they didn't earn that eighth seat. I and know. So there you go. Yeah. They didn't earn anything beyond seven, and 12 is yeah. a distant remove, more so than eight. And this right. is where the conservatives have decided that on Thursday in their fall economic statement, they've amended the rule. For better or for worse, and this is the question, again, you know, if uh, you're looking at it from the perspective of, yeah, the liberals, uh, there have been a lot of things for which we may want them to wander in the wilderness. On the other hand, do you think democracy is better served if, as Mr. Fraser, the interim leader, points out, 1.1 million people in Ontario voted for the liberals, should they get an opportunity to have representation, such as it would be with this uh, increase of, I'd put it at about 2.2 million in a budget uh, that would allow them to do all kinds of things like uh, administrative uh, research, you know, odds and ends, automation, that kind of stuff. Because right now they're having to front everything on their own, from their own, wherever they got the money. (laughs) That too has become uh, drawn into question. So let's ask this question as a first order of business on the Tuesday edition. It is a great day for talk radio, but since we've got uh, a whole lot of stuff being slung around as mud in the legislature i thought this might just be uh one of those moments where we can ask you uh whether it's you know voting with your head or your heart or uh understanding in the broad sweep of things if democracy is better served or it's important for the liberals to be chastened and uh really wander in the wilderness for a while and don't give them the benefit of the doubt or would that be 
retrograde thinking, counterproductive. 